while women who write take flight. As women who write, we recognize the importance of supporting one another because together we are stronger. Our goal is to provide this support through discussions about developing character, setting, plot, and dialogue. We will include interviews, panel discussions, and informal chats. Our team of Wild Women includes Gabby Anderson, author of South of Happily, a novel that started as a love letter to a lost parent and turned into a story about staying sane when life tries to shove us to the business end of a meat grinder. She is currently writing the second book in this series, North of Happily. Kim Connery, author of the sci-fi romance Stealing Aries and the memoir, You're Not a Murderer, You Just Have OCD. She also writes a blog to bring awareness to OCD at harmocdkimconnery.com. April Dilbeck, author of A Sacred Thing, a detective story about the theft of an African shaman's mask that leads the readers from the Congo to the elite world of New York art dealers and collectors. Elizabeth Jones, author of literary fiction and our resident MFA in creative writing. And Kathy Nichols, author of The Sometimes Sister, a psychological thriller that explores the bonds of sisterhood and life after loss. Our flight is organic and our journey is ongoing. We invite you to join us along the way. Today on Wild Women Who Write Take Flight, we have author Liz Krauss. A self-proclaimed late bloomer, Elizabeth or Liz Moore Krauss enrolled in college at the age of 42, and she never looked back. Six years later, she graduated with her MA in English Literature. She retired in 2019 from a much-beloved teaching career at Ventura College. During her travels, Liz keeps journals, which post-trip become placeholders in her bookcase. Then came COVID. Five jigsaw puzzles later, she was left with no other choice but to retrieve her most recent journal from the shelf and begin writing this memoir, which is her debut book. And we're really glad she did. Liz lives in Ventura, California with her husband, Dave, and Sully, their golden retriever. Thanks so much for being with us today, Liz. And we would like to ask you if there's anything you'd like to say to kick it off. And we're just happy you're here. I would like to kick off with a mantra that I kind of captured for myself month or so ago, learning about Instagram and promotion, I really believe people first, product second. I really want to get to know a lot of people who are following me on Instagram, aside from the men who are doctors and tell me, you beautiful, (laughs) things like that. But yeah, people first, product second. And I'm, I'm slow to grow my followers because I want to get to know people. And I feel if they get to know me, then the book will become part of the conversation. But I don't want the book front and forward. And that's a recommendation that you'll get when you're on a lot of platforms. I've, I've entered into TikTok, which has been a hoot. They do have a strong book community, readers and writers, book talk. And the, one of the things that they really urge you to do there is to make some connections with readers and understand the people that you're talking to before you start saying, please, please buy my book. So I think that's a really smart, intuitive thing that you have got going there. I know... You had a teaching career before you decided to become an author. What did you do before your teaching career, and how did you get into teaching? 
I was uh, came from a family with not a lot of money. So after high school, I went to a secretarial college. And I was a legal secretary for many years. And toward the end of that career, I was just dying on the vine. I just felt like there was so much more to me. I was, in fact, I worked in the, worked in the probation department. And it seemed like the legal secretaries were training the new and upcoming probation officers, but we weren't respected as such. So we moved from California to the state of Washington, and I took on a completely different career of being a visual merchandiser. And I dressed mannequins, and I wrapped hundreds and hundreds of empty gift boxes for different occasions. So anybody who gets a present from me now, it's just in a bag. I don't wrap anymore. Then we moved back to California, and I had always been challenged about math. And so I told my husband, I'm just going to go take a little math class. That's all. And the instructor was really nice. She took me outside and she goes, Liz, I need to talk to you. And I said, do I have to leave? Am I kicked out of school? Because the teacher in fifth grade told me I was stupid. So that became my truth. And she goes, no, I think you have a learning disability. Yeah, everybody's got a learning disability. But the college had a really great testing system. And I went through it. And the next day when I saw the results, I saw that I had this intelligence that I had never been able to see or feel. And from that point on, there was no stopping me. And I had a wonderful mentor at the community college. And I went on through my master's and my thesis, which was Feminine Silence and Speech in Fairy Tales. And it just, I just bloomed. I have not stopped blooming since then. So I went back to the college where I started and taught there for 20 years. You taught college. Did you teach freshmen? Did you teach uh, more advanced? Was it, I imagine that after having that really negative experience that you had in the fifth grade, which by the way, I was a high school teacher and I just am appalled when I hear what happens sometimes to students in early grade school. We had a, a guest last, our last guest, as a matter of fact, had undiagnosed dyslexia and she uh, it's Allison Neeson of the Florida Project. She found out what the problem was, and also spell check came along, and she got two degrees in English and is now an author. And I, I kind of all wanted us to just find out the email address of her former teacher and just send some <laughs> na na nas to her. Yeah. But you know, it's I don't think I just don't think elementary school teachers realize how powerful their words are, which is one reason I never wanted to be one because I tend to be a little sarcastic. Mm-hmm. But so what led you? Well, uh, during my uh, sophomore year at the college, in the community college, just two levels, freshman and sophomore. And then from there, they can transfer on to a university. But my mentor, uh, who was an English professor at Ventura College, says, Liz, you need to get in the trenches, you need to get some experience. So I got hired at a a private Catholic high school right down the street from me. And I said, I'm not Catholic. They don't don't care. You're here to teach English. So I taught sophomore English for a few years and then junior English. And I was really, I know it sounds odd, but I was very grateful for that fifth grade teacher because from her, I learned how not to be. Well, I wasn't that way anyway. I had empathy for the underdog. And I would never say those words, but I feel as an educator, I was even more encouraging, and I saw the kids who were struggling and talked to their parents. I would call parents all the time. I just, I'm a chatter, fucker. And so I think I was doing that for about a year and a half, and then I started teaching nights at the college and working on my thesis. So I was putting about 14-hour days and such. So 
after about 14 years at the high school, I stopped and just went adjunct at the college, which was a great career for me because my son and daughter-in-law and granddaughter had just moved into Ventura. And so it was a perfect career for me, being adjunct. And I absolutely loved it. And you know, I had many students. I think my oldest student at college was about 75. He goes, I know I'm too old. I said, nope. And then I have, I remember one girl specifically, I'm so old, I'm 25. I said, oh my goodness, no, no, no. So, you know, I was a model for them that you can do whatever you want whenever, whenever it comes along, don't give up. I think that's a great attitude that even though we all want to kind of smack your teacher, that you found a way to take something from that. And I also think it's very good that you had the high school experience because it gives you the background, a large part of your students. And then, of course, by experience, you had background on the others. Yeah. So other than the pandemic, what would you say were your motivations for writing the memoir? Retirement. It, writing was never in my wheelhouse. I'll take that back. I tried writing a fiction, a book of fiction years ago. Just didn't go. And I, I just never entertained to write a book. Now, I've written a lot of poetry. I've got a big file jammed with my poetry and poems that I've written. But writing a book was never. And people think, well, you're an English major. Of course, you want to write a book. And, of course, you've read every book. And, of course, you know all the classics and such. But I I think it was an anomaly that way because I was raised in a very strict Christian home. We weren't allowed to read fairy tales. We weren't allowed to read mythology. So I was not exposed to any of that growing up. So I had to really catch up. And so teaching helped teach me a lot. But writing a book, I I can encourage people. I can encourage them to do the hardest thing. But myself, yeah, not so much. At this point, you say not so much, but you've proven that there are surprises in your life and you surprise yourself. It was interesting to me that it took you and your sisters a long time to get to the point where you said, we're going to do this. And then it's like when you said, we're going to do this, it just took off. So... Do you think there's a reason that you all came together at that point and were ready? Do any of you have sisters? <laughs> ah, Kim, would you ever take a trip with any of your sisters or sister? <laughs> you, oh, you don't have the answer. <laughs> I took a trip with, with my sister to San Francisco. No. Yeah, and it's, it's, it's tough. It, it's tough. It's hard being three. It's hard being three. One always feels left out. And so these are the dynamics the whole time growing up. And as we became adult women, Les and Ree would be off doing something and go, well, hey, what about me or Les and I and Ree? So we always had this kind of push and pull. But I think in our 40s, and I talk about it in the book, we start to kind of come together, but still some struggles. And then when it finally comes 2018 and Ree, the youngest who's traveled extensively, said, come on, let's go. It's like, I'm retiring the next month. Les can do it. It was just, it was like lightning in a bottle. It couldn't have been a more perfect time, more circum- better circumstances. It just worked. I don't know if we would do it again. I have no words for it. We came to a point in our lives where we all just got along. And we foolishly said, ah, let's do this. The thing is that Les had no traveling experience, the older sister, and very naive in that way. And Ree, the youngest, gets little shiny things to attract her, and she's off and running. So we decided we were going to stick together. No one was going off on their own. We were sticking together. And we held to that. 
Well, that, that's a smart idea. I took kids to Europe several times, and the old sticking together and having a partner was huge because everybody does that thing of thinking people are following you and you're actually wandering off. I don't have sisters. My first book, The Sometimes Sister, was about sisters. So I always ask people in book clubs or that I'm talking to to tell me about their sisters. And it's fun because I always wanted a sister. And sometimes in the book clubs, they say, be careful what you ask for. You, you don't necessarily want that. But to me, it just always seemed like such an important thing. I have a wonderful brother. It's not the same. And like we said, Kim has some sisters. Yeah, and I, I know with I have two sisters. I have one that's a couple years older than me and one that's quite a bit younger, like a decade younger. And I know that it, it ebbs and flows, you know, at different times in our life. And, and one has a daughter of her own and, and one has, has never had any children. And, you know, there are times that we've been closer or further apart and times that we've <laughs> all teeth and claws, you know, just, it, it just depends on what's going on in our lives. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that's just such a shifting dynamic. Mm-hmm. I mean, very much so. And, and depending on what's going on with other familial relationships can change the dynamic between you and your sisters. I, I mean, I've certainly found that to be true with, with me and my sisters, but I was wondering how do you, you know, keep those close relationships and were you always close or, and how do you maintain those relationships? There are five kids in our family, boy, girl, me, boy, girl. So I was the middle, middle. So I have a few issues. Let's just say that. <laughs> but you know what? I got along better with my brother below me. We, we wreaked havoc on the family. We were mischief. We were trouble. We harassed each family member. But interestingly enough, the three of us sisters, we almost thought we knew each other well until we took this trip. And then we learned things about each other that used to drive us crazy that we didn't have the backstory on. And now, since this trip, we are very close. Since the writing of the book, since the trip, in fact, every day, the three of us text a gratitude list, what we're grateful for, and just 10 things. And it's just fascinating that this trip and, and the book brought us closer in a way we never imagined for ourselves. But growing up, I was very jealous of Les. She was, I was five foot 10 at 13, not even 100 pounds. She was five foot six and beautiful and 19 months older, and then Rhi wasn't even my wheelhouse. She was six years younger. So it was, it's taken adulthood, and now here we are in our 60s, very close. And you're a middle child, Kim. Middle yeah, child. yeah, and I was, I was the baby until my youngest sister <laughs> was born. Yeah, yeah, so that was a, created an interesting dynamic. And I'm a believer in birth order. I love birth order. I'm fascinated by it. I did a lot of studies in grad school about birth order. And boy, we all take our take on our roles, that's for sure. Oh, it's fascinating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it does affect to a large degree how we yeah. behave going forward and how it affects things. Yeah. I also think with sisters, relationships with mothers is is a very powerful thing. Each child, each daughter probably has a different kind of relationship with the mother. And I know that in your book, you kind of weave in that story. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. My mom and dad married very young. They had five kids before mom was 27. So, you know, she was a kid raising five kids. 
dad was 29. But the dynamics personally with my mother have always been very difficult. She had a tough relationship with her dad, and her dad adored me. So here is a man who loved me, didn't love her. She was five foot ten, and everybody else in the family was about five foot seven and smaller, so she never felt she fit in. I was very clear on my boundaries with my mom. She would tell me something, I just no, I don't want to do that. Les didn't have those words, she just always went along and resented it. So mom took advantage of her. And Les now says, It's my fault, you know, I let mom do that. And the youngest one, Ree, will just run around trying to make everybody happy. So we knew how mom worked this. If she couldn't get it from Les, then she would call Ree, and then I'd be the last one she'd call. She goes, well, now Lizzie's not going to help me because, yeah, because I'm going to say, no, I'm not running to you right now, Mom. So she knew how to work each of us. Uh, it was really fascinating. But we, with our very clear personalities, how we related to Mom was really amazing. And especially, she just passed in, Mar in March. And I was the one, the most difficult child and the most contentious relationship. I spent the last month with her pretty much. I read my book aloud to her. I skipped some parts because I wanted her to rest in peace. I read aloud to her. I sang to her. And I have no regrets. And I, I called my mom Jan, explanations in the book. You know, Jan, you want to go. She'd call me in the morning. You know, I just didn't die last night. Try harder, Jan. Let's see what you can do. So it ended up being a very peaceful passing, and we all five kids are very peace with her, and it's brought us five even closer. That's a, a beautiful recollection, uh, and I think very heartening for people who have struggled with relationships with mothers and, and fathers too, but it seems like when you struggle with a relationship with your mother, it seems as if it's part of your identity. That, mm -hmm. that you're that you're struggling with and that can make it more difficult you've heard that so, saying if it's not one thing it's another but mine is if it's not one thing it's your mother I just felt like that. that that one's mine and I mean I tell mom that too but she loved her son oh my heaven she loved her son she loved men and she would even tell people oh I love my son-in-laws more than my daughters isn't that great that's, yeah, that's charming. <laughs> Quite charming. That's a good word. Yes. It, but a, it's a beautiful ending to it. Um, it truly is. Yeah. It gives hope to other people with similar. And I am very embarrassed. We have not said the name of your book a single time. Oh. And so we're, we're going to correct that. Your book is Three Sisters, Three Weeks, Three Countries, Still Talking. Correct. <laughs> Which is an accomplishment just just agreeing. I was just impressed with how you each agreed on the countries. Italy, Ireland, and Scotland? Ireland, Scotland, Ireland, England, and Scotland. What was your favorite moment on the trip, if you had one? You can have more than one. You know, I talked to Les and Reed about this last night, and I also asked them what their favorite country to go back, and they both said Ireland and Scotland. I said, your favorite country, not countries, but we all agree on Scotland, by the way. The pesto incident Last, my older sister, for those who haven't read the book, is an incredible sport. Oh, my gosh. She is the best sport ever. So we always teased less growing up. And our family was a family of jokers and teasers, but never a mean kind of teasing. You never attacked the spirit of somebody. But less just is a great sport. So when less, to backtrack a little bit, we each picked the country. And then whatever country was yours, you got to pick which room you wanted. And then you got to pick two places where you wanted to go. And we all, you know, traveled together there. 
So that worked out. And last wanted to see Wimbledon. She never played tennis, but she loves Wimbledon. And Les and I bought some. We were heading back to Westminster Abbey, catching the tube. And before we went, we stopped at a little store. Les and I got some pesto salad macaroni. And it goes from there. It just goes downhill from there. But it's, it's hilarious. And what's so funny is this whole arc of how we work through it and how we, the youngest and I, if we look at each other, if something catches our, we're, we're done, we're done, we're lost, we're laughing. So at this particular point, we have to turn our back on left because we are laughing so hard at what has happened. Yeah, we go through the whole That's, range of emotions there. That sounds fun and funny and also potentially volatile, but it sounds like you managed to skirt any, any hard feelings. So that's amazing too <laughs> yeah it was very amazing and we did uh because Les could laugh uh how the pesto ended up with her on her but we had to Rhea is always the fixer I want to take care of things you know sacrificing herself and I got a little ticked but then I thought we're here together you know what's important we're important we stayed together for the sisterhood and I have a metaphor of a sister tent throughout the book because we grew up camping and camping almost every weekend. And Ree, Les, and I decided a sister tent would be a great metaphor. So if we happened to start falling apart, we had this emotional and mental place to go and regroup. And it was tattered. <laughs> we had to stitch it back together several times. <laughs> but we came home with a tent intact. I think this could almost be a how-to book. Uh, and a how not to book. <laughs> yeah. And you know what, Kathy, I'll tell you, a lot of people would see the three of us together. Oh, are you friends traveling together? No, we're sisters. They're like, what? You're traveling together? You know, and people would always express, share their feelings about, oh, I'd never travel with a sibling. I would never travel. When we were leaving Ireland, going through customs, the guard said, okay, where you've been, who you are. And we said, well, we've been three sisters. We're three sisters who have been together for three weeks in through three countries. He goes, now there's a book. And I go, oh. You should have gotten his name. I talk about him in the book, though. I do mention him in that regard. Did you have a a favorite passage that you wanted to share? I do. And it's at the beginning of the book, and it's on page two. And we appreciate our differences and our likenesses. We are like individual stars, each bringing light to our sister's constellation. And that, that was, that's how we took off. We, with that belief in ourselves. And I had a very famous author who I had hired early on to help edit. She kept saying, but why would you do this? You know, there needs to be more age. But that's not what it was. She said, but why would you go? And I finally said, well, why not? You know, we just were, why not? So off we went blissfully and just figured we'd work things out as we went along. Interesting, because the potential for fun would be a good why. Mm-hmm. And the potential for growing closer is almost implicit. And, yeah. or, you know, you might, you didn't necessarily have to think about it. Liz, it's funny that you mentioned that when someone told you, oh, well, you need more angst. You need more of that. Why would you want to do, put more angst? You know, I had met with an agent about an OCD memoir that I'm writing with my daughter. And the first thing he said, with, without even reading, reading it, with just looking at the query was, Oh, well, this will sell if you really run more of a thread of conflict between you and your daughter through the memoir. Oh, I can sell that 
first of all, as if OCD is not angsty and conflict ridden. <laughs> well, you know, the, of course, there is some conflict because at the heat of all this happening, she's a teenager, so there's some regular angst in there anyway. I said, but, you know, we just, our relationship is not heavily angst ridden other mm-hmm. than the OCD. And I'm like, why would I purposely, you know, weigh it down and make it something that it's not? So it's, the minute you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, heard that, thought that was interesting that something you had heard as well, and people want to shove that into the story for you. <laughs> it's almost like they put that genre of memoir in this little box, and this is what's required. And I, I experimented with that. I'm saying, you know what, mostly the memoirs, you know, you're digging up these skeletons, and then you're running them over back and forth, and then you come out, you know, the Phoenix Rising. Well, we had a bone or two, sure, but we didn't have, like you're thinking, we didn't have this kind of angst. We were just fun, more sisters, off to have fun, and there was nothing, and when the person kept saying, well, we need more, why not, why not? I said, you know, this isn't working, and I just went off on my own and finished my book, and it really kind of served as a jump-off point for me then. It's like, okay, she kind of lit a fire in me, so I'll show you why. This is why. I love that. I love that you stay true to your vision. Mm -hmm. Right on. I'm glad you are too. And that you know your audience because there are a lot of people that want to read memoirs that aren't necessarily gut-richingly sad because real life is a combination of both. And it's nice to know that you can attempt something and be happily successful at it and that it can mean more after the memoir is finished that it's ongoing, mm-hmm. that we understand that these things give us a power and, a, like you said, with you, a closeness. So, yes, Kat? I really enjoyed your book, and one of the things that I thought about it when I got all done with it was the destinations could have been anywhere. The bond was the journey, and mm-hmm. I was really, didn't need any angst. I saw you comparing your family with other people, and like the, the lady on the bus on the way to Galloway? Oh, Galloway, yeah. Yeah, and how she was in love with sons, all of that. I mean, I saw that in there as something that I definitely needed in you know to read because that's stuff that I've seen in my own family dynamic. So yeah, I really loved it. Thank you. And people ask kind of you know I said it's more of a, a fun memoir. I said you know you've heard of Eat Pray Love. Ours is more Eat Laugh Lost. That's who we are, you know. And we we had fun. And as Kat knows, my older sister has this built-in GPS that we've forever trusted, and it seems like it rusted with old age, her age, and we got lost, but we laughed about it, and I've had friends say, well, I would have packed up and left. Well, you're not a more sister. You know, you didn't want to stick around for it. Uh, this is who we are. We we have this bond that we decided, we created, we stuck together, hell or high water, and we're so glad we did. It's, it's a gift these years, you know, these later years in our lives. I'm glad you enjoyed it, Kat. That, that's really nice. Very much. Did they um, help you write it? No, not at all. Not at all. But I talked to them excessively. And then when I had them, gave them the manuscript, I said, you take out anything you want. I did not want this book to be destructive in any way. So everything in there is approved by both of them. So that's very special to me. And what's really interesting is my son read my book, which I was absolutely thrilled about. He's 44, and he listens to podcasts. He reads briefs and things like this. But he read 
And he said, but Ma, you got some personal family things in there. I said, well, if I didn't, it'd be one-dimensional characters. But then it's just, and I, I'm hoping you agree with me, Kat, I put in just enough to explain things rather than going off on a tangent and creating something different. Just enough to explain why we're making the choices and doing what we're doing. The other thing was there was no taking shots at anybody. It was all done very lovingly. And as I was reading this, I was thinking about my own family. And I was thinking everybody recognizes these things. And the way you did it was just really kind. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, the sisters were very, very pleased. And Re is an artist. And she said, no, it didn't happen this way. This way. I said, Re, it's, it's a book. And I have to condense it. You know, if you're painting something, you're not just, okay, this is how it's going to be. Because, no, I get it. But they both loved it. And Les just gets a joy out of every time she hears about the pesto story or the post office story. <laughs> so uh, I didn't want to damage anything or anybody. Even when we were screaming on a corner in England. But I'm not going to say <laughs> more about that. <laughs> it's it's like there there's joy built into it. And I also, when you said... Well, you're not a Moore sister. That sounded like a title of another book to me. Maybe I'm going to write that write down. <laughs> yes, you're not a Moore sister then. Uh, that was that was a cool one. Uh, and speaking of that, are you working on anything now? You know what? I thought I just had this one book, Lightning in a Bottle. And no, I tried fiction. In fact, I had character maps. And then it just wouldn't work. And then my husband kept telling me, you know, Liz, you're a storyteller. And you observe things. So I'm now writing observations of life from a humorous lens, from connecting to my life and other human beings and what I see. So I'm, I'm working on that. One chapter already is avocados, brownies, pizzas, and ants. Or food groups. <laughs> Has, have you considered doing anything more with your thesis? I, that idea about the fairy tales and the fact that you didn't read fairy tales until you were an adult. That's a really cool thing going on there. I'm not sure what it is, but there's something in there that I think, especially if you didn't read fairy tales because of the background situation. And now that your mother, I'm sorry to tell you how sorry I am that she passed, but now there wouldn't be anybody to get hurt mm -hmm. by a discussion of, you know, the limiting effect that had and then how it also had a real positive effect because you were able to come to that material with a vision that very few people haven't heard some fairy tales or read some fairy tales so if you want more help with other ideas I'm full of ideas for other people so. I, yeah, I love that I want to I want to preface this with uh, my mom the last few years of her life she wanted to die she was 92 she was done and even I, I said at her service, you know, if mom were alive right now, she'd be thrilled to find out that she's finally dead. And and it's true. And we have this gallow humor. It's okay. The family gets this humor. So not to offend anybody. When I sent my published bound thesis to my mom, she didn't read it. She, in fact, told me, oh, one of her stepdaughters, oh, she wrote a sermon and I'd really like you to read it. And it really created a, a chasm in us for a long time. I had a very wonderful professor who helped me a lot with my thesis. And I wrote it a lot from the uh, Western and Orient, the juxtaposition, because in the West, voice means power, means knowledge, means engagement. And the Orient, 
uh, is we see silent women and we take that as not being engaged, not being intelligent, not being to being passive. And so I took out fairy tales from different cultures and looked at the silencing and the speech. And so I think you're right, Kathy, never having really grown up with fairy tales, it really brought some fresh, fresh eyes to it. And that line from your eulogy is a great opening line for a book. I've got that one written down. <laughs> yes, that would be great. Well, first of all, did we not ask anything that you'd like your readers to know? I'd like for you to tell us where people can get Three Sisters, Three Weeks, Three Countries, Still Talking, and some of your events in case they're in your neighborhood or some of the plans you have for book tours and any online promotions you're thinking about if you are. I have, uh, I'm going to be at Barnes & Noble next month. And I'm going to be at Timber Bookstores next month. These are both in Ventura. And then I'm going to be at Belmont Village and then maybe two of them. But, you know, I think what I, the takeaway from this is that life can really be full of surprises, however trite that sounds. I never imagined. And we, Les and I, the three more sisters, we talk about how we are still blown away with the trips that we took. And it was so special. It was so much fun and learning so much. It was truly a gift that we never imagined for ourselves. So following Kim's piggybacking off of her, too, and writing her memoir, there are a lot of fun, good things and experiences out there. And they don't have to have the thread of angst. And I hope people give my book a try in the fact that it is fun. And it is funny. I hope it makes you laugh. And I enjoy laughing. And I hope that is translated in my book and hope people get a good feeling. I love that you say that it was a gift for you and your sisters. And I'm so happy that you're sharing your gift with readers. And we have really enjoyed talking to you, Liz. Thanks so much and have fun on your promotional tours. And I know that you'll make some wonderful connections, which is very important to you. And I think very important to authors and readers. So thanks again. Thank you. Thank you, ladies. Gabby, Kim, Kath. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Thanks a lot. Thank you for joining us tonight. We welcome your comments and invite you to check out our Wild Women Who Write website. Until next time, keep writing and stay wild.